All right, if you would, uh, open up your pew Bibles in front of you or look along in the bulletin. We're looking at the second book in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Exodus. And we're continuing in our sermon series on the life of Moses. And today we come to a turning point for Moses. As you recall from last week, uh, I quoted D.L. Moody. Remember what he said? He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Remember that? In this passage we're about to ready to read, Moses begins his third 40 years. Oh, if we could only have our own third 40 years, right? Uh, and the passage it begins, it begins with a life-changing encounter with God. Question for you. Have you experienced a life-changing encounter with God? Our text is... Exodus 3, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and a fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you. That I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us this morning. Uh, I confess I'm in desperate need of of hearing it, to be reminded of, of you being the God of great encounters who changes lives and gives us purpose and meaning and hope. You transform all things for your people. May these words written years ago, which are still true today, uh, be planted deep into our souls by the work of your Spirit. For Christ's glory, we pray. Amen. Have you ever experienced a life 
changing encounter. I mean, I've had a few. I think back to uh, the summer after my fifth grade. I was changing schools. We had moved, and I was hanging out with my good friend, Alan Salee. And, and for like a number of weeks, Alan kept telling me about this kid from the next neighborhood over. He was a real big jerk, and how somebody just needed to beat him up. <laughs> Alan thought that person should be me. Well, one day while walking out of the woods behind the tennis courts at Hill Trail Bath and Tennis, there he stood, Todd Morton. Todd stared at me from under his bull cut, and then we started throwing fists and wrestling for our lives. In the end, Todd Morton of 407 Trail Grove Court, Baldwin, Missouri, beat me up. Some may be saying, well, how do you know his street address? (laughs) We became good friends. Strange encounter, right? We used to listen to Ted Nugent free-for-all endlessly on his record player, and we would hone our skateboarding skills around the neighborhood. Todd Morton was a good friend. Talk about life-changing encounter. Now, as great as my encounter with Todd Morton was, it pales in comparison to the life-changing encounters that we see in the Bible. And isn't that what the Bible presents us? Just one life-changing story after another over and over with different people who walk upon the face of this earth. Adam and Eve in the garden. Noah while minding his own business. Abraham as he was wandering aimlessly. Jacob as he hid from his brother. And of course, Peter, James, and John as they were preparing to to go fishing. The entire Bible presents us with one life-changing encounter after another. Why is that? Because God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, cares for broken, needy, lost, purposeless people like you and me. It's good news for us today. God isn't happy to keep at arm's length in heaven. No, he comes down to call us into a relationship with him. And of course, if you are a Christian, you've experienced the the greatest life-changing experience of all as you have met your Savior, Jesus Christ. You've come to experience what Moses has experienced in our passage. The pure and good and holy God of glory came to meet you. And you experienced what all who meet with the holy and living God experience. You, you became a new person, right? You're not the same anymore. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. You see, one cannot meet the holy and living God and remain unchanged and unaffected by it. We'll look at Moses' encounter with God and we will see this this morning. All who encounter God become new. First, let's see how we become new where we are. God meets you where you are, and this is good news. It isn't necessary for human beings to go on a pilgrimage in order to encounter God. You need not travel to Mecca. You need not dip yourself in the dirty, stinky, smelly Ganges River. 
God meets you where you are, and this should be a comfort for you. We see in verse 1 that Moses was just going about his normal duties. He was tending his father-in-law's flocks, Jethro. Now, some of you may have picked up, uh, didn't, last week did we meet his father-in-law? His name, was, his name was Ruel, and now we read his name is Jethro. Is this one of these reasons why you can't trust the Bible? It's contradictory? No. Ruel is his given name. Jethro is his title. Jethro means his excellency. Some of you call me Mark. Some of you call me pastor, right? It's the same person. So back to Moses. Moses had taken the flock far away from home, likely one or two weeks distance away from his home in the wilderness up into the mountains. Why was he there? Because that's where the good food was, tall, lush, green grass that his flocks could feed upon. Now, the mountain has a name. It's called Horeb. There's another name for it, Mount Sinai. Yes, that same Mount Sinai, the place where, where the, the, the nation of Israel would turn at a later time and God would give his Ten Commandments to his people. But that would be some months down the road. For now, it's just Moses on the mountain. And Moses wasn't looking for God, was he? He was just going about his normal duties as a shepherd, and God met him there. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've, you've heard that, that Christians talk about having a, a relationship with God. And at some level, it sounds kind of weird. But at another level, it's, it's intriguing, a relationship with God. Not just like knowing of him, but being in a relationship. Well, know this. God is a personal being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity is, is personal. He made mankind in our image as relational, in his image, as relational beings. God is a God that can be known. And to know God, to truly know him, is more than intellectual. It's relational. And to be in a relationship with God requires an encounter. You know, I knew of Todd Morton. I'd heard about him. I knew of him intellectually in my head. But I didn't have a relationship with him until he beat the crud out of me. And we became friends, right? To be in a relationship mandates an encounter. So too with God. Today, if you wish to encounter God, well, he's revealed himself in his written words so that people of all generations can can truly experience God and come into a relationship with him. He will meet you where you are. So God met Moses when, when Moses wasn't even expecting it, right? One moment, he's walking around on a mountain, kicking rocks with his sandals, wondering why the cell coverage is so poor up there. And then the next minute, the most amazing sight happens. He literally talks with God, which is our second point. We become new because of who we encounter. You know, life-changing encounters typically involve uh, a dynamic person who comes into your life, right? Perhaps you can think of a few names of real dynamic people that an encounter with them changed you. Last week we saw that Moses had a life-changing encounter with the priest of Midian. He ends up marrying one of his daughters. That's pretty life-changing, right? But it's nothing to compare with what Moses experienced there on Mount Horeb. On Mount Horeb, God reveals himself to Moses. First we see it's through an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flaming bush that just won't burn out. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Sorry, picture the scene. He's like, whoa, whoa, look at that bush. It's burning. I just can't let this 
can't just walk by. I got to check it out, right? So Moses goes and he checks it out. Imagine his, his look on his face as he looks at that scrubby bush. I mean, he would have, he would have used a lot of these bushes himself to keep warm at night by burning them. And they just got to keep throwing more bushes on the fire in order to stay warm at night. But this bush wasn't burning out, even though it was burning. So he's scratching his head. He gets closer, and then he hears a voice. And this isn't the voice of the angel. We will come to find out later it's the voice of God himself. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out, called to him uh, out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, why does God say Moses twice? Is, is Moses hard of hearing? <laughs> no. In the ancient Semitic cultures, addressing someone by saying his or her name Twice was a, was a way of expressing endearment, uh, affection, friendship. So Moses would have understood immediately that he's being addressed by someone who loved him and who was concerned uh, about him. But he hadn't yet identified himself as God, right? But in doing so, in speaking to him, God began to teach Moses about the holy nature of his presence. Look at verse 5. Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, ten minutes earlier, Moses could have danced the Macarena by that bush, and nothing would have happened, right? No harm, no foul. But now we see that this is holy ground. Now, I know when we think of the word holy, we often think of like that moral purity or righteousness, and surely that word holy has that in, in view, but... but when we hear the, um, the word holy, it's, it, it fundamentally means to be other or separate, right? And God is holy in that he's totally, utterly separate from this world and from humanity. He is other of another degree, right? He's set apart. It's different. And so when we think of all God's attributes, think about like his power, his justice, his mercy, they all come under the umbrella of his holiness. So his power is a holy power. His justice is a holy justice. His mercy is a holy mercy. It's like nothing ever seen on earth before. We can't even wrap our heads around it. That's how splendid and holy it is. And so, but here's the deal. As we begin to think rightly about God, here's what happens. He begins to to become more and more holy in our eyes, right? The closer we get to God, the more holy he becomes. Not that God changes, but rather us, our perception of him, who he is. This is why the Bible repeatedly states that, I know this gets some people, but it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. A holy God, a holy reverence, a fearfulness, a trembling is the proper response. See, the most important question you can attempt to answer in life is this. Who is God? No, really. Who is God? How you perceive God, whether he exists or not, what kind of God he is, directs everything of your life, though you're subconscious to it. Who is God? And when you come to understand God truly, you realize that he is startlingly holy. It should startle us how holy he is, so much so that we should tremble. 
Imagine, I know it's kind of weird, imagine if the paparazzi decided they were going to follow God around, take some nice pictures, and they tried to muscle their way into his presence. When they came into his presence, they would drop their cameras, fall to the ground in reverence and awe, and would confess their inadequacy, even to think that they could hound God and follow him around like some B-film celebrity. God is holy. And God knows this about his being. So he came to Moses in the familiar, a bush. And he called to Moses in tenderness. Moses, Moses. And he instructed Moses in the way, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. This is holy where you're standing. Was God shaming Moses? No, it was out of love that he instructed Moses. God wanted Moses to encounter him. But there are boundaries that we cannot cross with God. He is holy. And he cannot lessen his holiness so that we can come to him. But in his grace, he makes provisions so that he can come to us. So let me ask you, do you have a sense of God's holiness? Or or are you like most Americans in our our culture who think that God is just like some semi-senile great-uncle? You know, who just wants humanity to have a fun time, you know. Each person gets to choose what he wants to do, just as long as no one gets hurt along the way. Many in America view God that way. That might be the God most want, but it's not the God we need. We need God to make us new by his grace through an encounter with him. So do you have a sense of God's holiness? Do you bow in reverence? In awe, not not making him change, but rather that his grace towards you would cause you to change. So God declares his nature to Moses. He's holy. But he also declares to Moses that he's in charge. We have a word for that. It's it's sovereignty. God is sovereign. God's in charge. It's It's a scary thing to come before a sovereign God. But he does so in love. He declares to Moses that he is a sovereign God of covenantal promises. We see God's covenant here with his people. He speaks of it in verse 6. Look at what he says. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And how does Moses respond? Woohoo! No. He hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. What was the covenant with Abraham and his offspring? I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you and I will multiply you so that the world will be blessed through you. But your life is not your own anymore from this day forth. I've lavished great love upon you and you've come to see who I really am. And From this day forth, you will live for me and for my glory. And by the way, you will be blessed because of it. That was the call upon all of these men of faith before, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And when, and when, I think when Moses heard God say, well, no, this voice you're hearing isn't just like some regular run-of-the-mill angel that I might send you. This is the Lord himself. I'm talking to you, and I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And with that sense of awareness, I believe Moses was cut to the core. He realized who this God is. He's the God of glory, but he's also the God of great calling. And when you get to know him, he, he calls you to daunting tasks. He's not the God who will just let you 
choose your own path and just say, God, can you stamp this okay? I want to do this and this and this in life. They're all fun for me. What do you think about that, God? Moses realizes that he is being called from a God who is in charge, who is sovereign. God exists for his own glory. And so to be in a relationship with God means that you've come to realize that your entire life now belongs to him. We see it all over scripture, but here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He says, "Um, Corinthians, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Yeah, I remember when God began to reveal himself to me. I was 29, I was an atheist, and it was terrifying. I lived 29 years on this earth thinking that God wasn't real, or at times I thought maybe there could be a God, but surely he's cool with everything, you know. But then I came to realize, began to think, and God, I believe, gave this, these thoughts to me, these terrorizing thoughts. The thought was that if there is a God, he has every right to be ticked at humanity. Everyone's just doing their own thing on the earth, and no one's looking up to honor the deity, to give him glory, to, to live in thankfulness to him. And I didn't yet know of Christ, and so that was terrifying. If there really is a holy God who has, has, has marked out how we human beings should live in a relationship with him, and I'm not in a relationship with him, then Mark Middle cause some trouble. You see, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it's also the beginning of a relationship with God. Moses had prior, he had known of the Lord. Now he was meeting him face to face. It was terrifying, but it was also life-giving. The God who loved Abraham and Isaac and Jacob came to Moses and came in steadfast love. My friends, God's holiness changes us. It humbles us. It makes us thirsty for his grace. And as long as you and I live on this earth, that thirst will never leave us. We can become new precisely because it is our holy God who makes us new. Lastly, we become new because of the calling that God places upon us. We are called to a calling that can only be accomplished because God himself is behind it. Did you notice that as soon as he revealed his identity and his love and his sovereignty for the people that he calls his own, God calls Moses to a monumental task, right? Verse 7 and 8, he tells them that he's heard the cry of his covenant people. And then in and that um, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to bring them into this land of milk and honey. And Moses is probably like, that's awesome. And then he says, oh, and by the way, there's still people in there. <laughs> They're scary big people. You got to get them away from Pharaoh and into this land where there's the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the termites. I don't know what else there was in there. There's a lot of ites. It's a daunting task, is it not? And then we read in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, if this were the Oscars, you might expect Moses to give a speech sort of like this. I wish to thank the Academy, but most of all, I would like to thank my God for calling me to this wonderful role 
I knew from the start that this role would be well-suited for me, so thank you. Instead, Moses says, wait a second, um, me? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, of Israel out of Egypt? You know, remember a few weeks ago, the last time Moses got into his head that he was called by God to, to deliver God's people, he acted rashly, and he went, and, and it didn't go so well for him, right? In his own strength, he went out, and he, and he um, murdered an Egyptian, and he ended up having to flee for his own life. But Moses is not the same man as before. Forty years in Midian had humbled him and prepared him for this very call. So Moses didn't respond with Pride or even with gratitude, but in humility. Who am I, God? You know, some preachers today, you maybe hear them on radio or see them on TV, would apply it this way. Don't be like Moses. No, no, no. Don't doubt yourself. No, instead, you just got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do this. Go and be strong for God. That's the message that a lot of people would like to preach from this passage. But what I hope we recognize is that Moses actually responds perfectly. Moses models for us the attitude that we must have. Moses had 40 years earlier learned of his weakness as he tried to liberate God's people in his own strength. But he was no longer that brash young man in Pharaoh's house. Here is what he learned. Listen. Moses now understood that attempting to accomplish God's calling in his own power would be a recipe for disaster. Salvaggio, a commentator, states, to say, who am I, when called to a challenging task, does not reflect on cowardice or lack of faith, but rather reflects the knowledge that in our own strength we will fail. Moses now understood his weakness And this displayed that he was ready for his calling. God promised Moses two things that would empower him in his calling. Verse 12, he said, listen, I will be with you. And number two, this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. Here's the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So two things he's conveying to Moses. God's saying, my very own presence will be with you to empower you. And also, I have a sign that's going to assure you in your calling. I will be with you. What a promise. God's promise to be present with his children. Every moment of every day. That's a promise that we have this day. I think some of us might need to hear that afresh this morning. God is present with his people, no matter where we are, all the time. God gives a sign. It's kind of an interesting sign. What do you think about it? Moses, here's the sign that um, I'm going to encourage you with. Um, when you, here's the sign, when, and it's a plural. It's like y'all. Um, when you are done, you will be back here on this mountain. So in other words, the sign that I will accomplish everything for the redemption of my people is that y'all will worship me on this mountain. And I don't know about you, but I think I wouldn't want my sign to come at the end, right? So the sign that everything's going to be fine is when everything's fine. That's kind of weird. 
Well, we see these in other places in the Bible. It's what's called a fulfillment sign. Because actually, God wouldn't be done with Moses once they got back to that mountain, right? That would become something for, for Moses and the people of God to look back towards, to be able to say, God's done this before. He can do it again. A fulfillment sign is a confirmation that a prophet or a leader has completed a key part of a task assigned him by God. God still had more for Moses to accomplish. But this sign of your coming back and my people worshiping me on this mountain will be a sign of my presence with you and my continual calling upon your life. Now, I want us to now fast forward to the New Testament, right? To see how, how this all works out in the New Testament era. First is this. None of us here today can ever receive that calling that Moses had. That was unique in redemptive history, right? There's only one people of Israel in bondage in Egypt, right? Um, and so it's unique to him. But all Christians share a calling, a calling to live holy lives in a broken world, to live for Christ and his kingdom, to make disciples. Now, is this not a recipe for disaster when we attempt it in our own strength? That is why Jesus taught, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Second, because our calling is impossible in our own strength, we, like Moses, must confess daily, who am I, Lord? For there's no way we can succeed in our calling apart from God's presence and his sign. Check this out. Just as Moses experienced God's presence in a fulfillment sign, so to us. Jesus declared that he would never leave us. That he was sending the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to not just be with you, but to be in God's people, the church. He will dwell in us. And we have become new creations, have we not? The old is gone, the new is here. Christ is in us. Our church's motto is what? Alive in Christ. And second, check this out. Just as God gave Moses a fulfillment sign, uh, Jesus has given us a fulfillment sign, actually two of them, the two Christian sacraments, baptism and the Lord's table. Baptism is a sign that the old person has died in Christ and the new person has risen to newness of life in Christ. So what does that mean for us? Well, may your baptism be an ongoing sign to you that you are now new and have this calling. Like the sign given to Moses, the Lord's Supper is a fulfillment sign, is it not? The Lord's Supper is a sign to us that God's work in Christ, his work of redemption and deliverance from sin and death, that's, that's done. Not on Mount Horeb, but on the cross. And so... How can Christians know that the calling that we share to live holy lives in a sin-saturated world can be accomplished? Because the Lord's table every week is a sign to us that the work of redemption is finished. That Christ has done for us what we desperately need done. Christ has triumphed for us on the cross. The victory is won. We just got to keep looking towards it and be reminded of it. We've been set free from the dominion of sin. All right, so this morning we've seen how God works in this world. He brings redeeming grace into this world, one person at a time. 
God has a pattern for intruding into the lives of his creatures to alter who they are. And when a a person encounters the holy living God, they are forever changed. You cannot genuinely encounter God and remain the same, right? And thankfully, you become new where you are. God meets you where you are. This is good news. Also become new because of who we encounter. We encounter the true, holy, living God, not some God substitute. He is the maker of heaven and earth, whose thoughts are way above our thoughts and whose ways are way above our ways, who is beyond measure, who is pure and glorious. All who encounter this God become new by his grace. And lastly, we become new because of, because of what we are now called to be. God's grace makes us new creatures who are alive in Christ, who have hearts that now beat for God and his kingdom purposes. And we share together this kingdom calling uh, to seek first the kingdom of God. And then all things will be added unto us. This isn't a call to being religious for an hour and 15 minutes, two Sundays a month. No, someone who's become new in Christ, every moment of every day is an act of loving worship and service towards our Savior. And so just thinking that through, this calling is pretty daunting, isn't it? To to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Surely cannot do it in our own strength. But we have God's presence in our lives. And we have God's fulfillment signs of our baptism in the Lord's Supper. And then we even have words to voice to God. Who am I, Lord? Who am I? Let's pray. Father, you are infinite. You are glorious. Our feeble human minds couldn't even begin to fathom the fullness of your greatness. And yet we often act like we know you completely. We thank you that you condescend to us, that you have come down to bring encounters with you to this world so we need not be left in our, in our brokenness, in our sorrow. We may walk on earth as those who know you, those who know Christ, those who have encountered the true and living God. May we recommit this morning to the knowledge that you are holy and we are not, except for what Christ has done in us. May we look towards our baptism, and now may we turn to this supper that we share and be reminded that the work is finished and that your love is eternal. Amen.